set your hope fully on the grace that is to come when Jesus is revealed. It's not always going to be this way. Porn is going to die. It will be destroyed. Temptation will be done. It will all be under the feet of Jesus. But that time hasn't come yet. So we fight. This is the Into the Light podcast, where we ask experts, hear authors, and listen to stories about pornography, sexuality, and the Christian life. This podcast is part of the teaching documentary, also called Into the Light. I'm your host, John Michael Bow, and I hope that through this conversation, you meet Jesus, find healing, and have your honest questions answered. Hey guys, this is Jake. In this podcast, we talk to Ellen, who's taking chapter five in the documentary. Over the summer, we traveled out to Philadelphia to record with her, and her chapter is really focused on a hopeful message to those who are battling pornography for the long months of getting out of this addiction. We loved talking to Ellen. She was one of our favorite people to film with. What you don't realize listening to this podcast is that there were dogs barking and full-blown construction going on in the background. And it is an absolute miracle that we actually got any clean takes. Throughout our time working on the project, Ellen has been consistently one of the most encouraging people. We loved filming with her, and through her wisdom, we got pointed to one of the best places for Philly cheesesteaks in the city. Without further ado, here's the podcast. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. And... Yeah, just having a conversation a bit about your ministry, Harvest USA, and then kind of just bring some honest questions that we've gotten from real people about this topic. So just kind of opening, uh, where are you from? Where are you serving right now? And just a bit about yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in St. Louis. I've been in Philadelphia for about 17 years and serving as director of women's ministry for Harvest USA for about 15 years. Harvest actually started out of the a pastoral heart of James Montgomery Boyth at Historic Tent Presbyterian Church in downtown Philly uh, back in the 80s. And that church is located in a kind of what's known as an LGBTQ neighborhood. But at that time, uh, that church was actually outside that church was a popular pickup spot for male prostitutes. And I love that this is the DNA of our ministry. Pastor Boyce went to his elders knowing that every weekend there were men kind of sitting outside the church waiting for really what is so destructive. And he went to his elders and said, we literally have a hurting, unreached people group at the doorsteps of our church. What are we going to do? And Harvest or Harvest USA was birthed initially as a prayer group than an outreach to those men. So over the years, we've transformed. We've become what we are now with a, a, a ministry with a twofold mission, which is to offer the mercy and grace and truth of Jesus to those impacted by sexual struggles and to equip the body of Christ to minister redemptively to women, men, and families that are impacted by these issues. So in my, my role as director of women's ministry, I oversee two populations, two spheres, women that themselves need help with sexual integrity, and then wives of men who are wrestling themselves with sexual sin. Okay, so it's like two-pronged. You're doing boots on the ground, counseling with people here, and then you're also creating resources for churches yeah. in general. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So just kind of Pulling back a little bit even more, Harvest USA, uh, I was confused when I got to know you guys a little bit. Uh, are you affiliated with different churches? What's your origin? Can you tell a little bit about the name and then a little bit about your background? Yeah. Well, you know, quite honestly, our name, Harvest and Harvest USA, you know, birthed, birthed in the 80s. I think the idea of wanting to be faithful to the Lord's kingdom work and, and a harvest of, of righteousness and encouragement and discipleship that's how Harvest USA, the title was birthed. Um, but our, our heart has remained the same throughout, and that is biblical discipleship, you know, biblical counseling, but short-term one-on-one discipleship with people, long-term ministry in groups. We think there's power in people coming together in a group to talk about these things. 
And then, yeah, uh, we write resources. We have an active blog. And we are out and about teaching and speaking, churches, conferences, uh, with, with the, the focus and the commitment is to help God's people understand a biblical view, not just of sexual sin, but of what is God's good design for sexuality. And, you know, the last thing I would say on that is, unfortunately for, for a lot of our church history, we've been shy or unable to talk about these things. And I would put myself in that category before I came on staff at Harvest. Um, like this was a surprise for me being in a ministry like this. So we really have a passion to help God's people become biblically articulate and really motivated with a Christ-centered mercy and grace in these issues. Hmm. I want to circle back to how you got into it because it sounds like it's a surprise <laughs> yeah. to you. Um, but you mentioned groups. So you do counseling in groups or is it kind of like a recovery program or do you do both? Yeah. Well, actually it's neither. Or, I mean, I say a, the best way to, do, to describe what we do is we're not, we're not long-term counselors. We're not a therapeutic organization. We really are biblical discipleship. So our groups aren't a traditional 12 steps group. It's not a group therapy experience. It really is discipleship in a group context with brothers in Christ or women or sisters in Christ coming together around two commonalities. I am needy of God's help in this area, and I want God's help in this area. So that's how we do what we do. So again, I'm not doing long-term one-on-one counseling. I'm doing short-term focused discipleship regarding these issues. And then for those that are willing and able, we provide more long-term, a year or two-year discipleship in group contexts uh, to help people grow. Okay, and is that connected to specific church or specifically this city, or is this yeah. broader than that? Yeah, great question. Uh, we're not affiliated with a denomination. You know, we did start out of a Presbyterian church in America local body here in Philadelphia, 10th Pres. Uh, but now we are a non-denominational uh, ministry that seeks to serve the body of Christ by equipping local churches to do what we do. So we, we're pretty tied to the PCA as a denomination, um, just because that's where we started. But we've got connections all across the beautiful uh, mosaic of God's people, um, both in the United States and internationally. Like I've gotten to travel to Asia, China Reform Seminary, Colombia, Ecuador, uh, to teach on these topics, which is a blessing to me because missions is a huge part of my background. And we get calls from missionaries and church leaders uh, from all around the world needing help or needing training. And I love that. And we, you know, as we're going to be faithful with God's, with the bandwidth and staying in our lane, if you will. But I love that really with, even with technology, uh, we've been able to reach into Europe, South America, and Asia uh, with the hope of Christ. And, and we're hearing that from, from leaders in different places of the world of saying, we need these resources. So, yeah, so it, it's a blessing and it's a surprise that what God continues to do, but it's, it, well, it's not a surprise in the sense that, you know, as we all know, sexuality is, is just one more area of our humanity that needs the redemption of Christ. And regardless of where you live and what time or country, that's true. So just kind of pulling back even further, mm -hmm. uh, just how did you get into this? But maybe even uh, could you share your testimony, your, um, yeah, how you came to know Jesus a little bit of like pulling way back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you asked that because I do, all of us on staff at Harvest, we do get that question of, so how did you come to work in a ministry like this? So quickly, I grew up in a uh, church going family, learned so many beautiful truths about who God is, about what does it mean to serve him. But it was as a college student through the ministry of Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, that the, the fullness of the grace and mercy of Christ for me as a sinner kind of soaked into my heart. So I really look at, um, as an 18-year-old, that's when I was truly born again into um, the family of God. And I'm so thankful for Campus Crusade in those years of, of being invested in and, and serving because that just... Um, planted 
in my heart a desire to live my life for the Lord, for disciple-making, not just here but globally, as being faithful to the Great Commission. So the Lord has allowed me a lot of different experiences to serve Him. I was overseas in Romania as a part of a church planting team for several years. I came back to the United States to go to seminary, and I was on staff at my church in St. Louis in the area of missions, missionary care, missionary equipping. And I was planning to go back overseas. That's what I thought God had for me. But it was my own relational brokenness and sin patterns that actually eventually led me to harvest. So quickly, that story is, uh, as, a, as a young adult, um, just there was an emerging pattern of brokenness in my life that manifested in very messy emotional entanglements with women just codependent, relationally idolatrous friendships and mentoring relationships. And so like my journey, you know, didn't go the road of say same-sex relationships, uh, but I see how women can walk into that and men as well. When you just connect with somebody and it just starts to feel like life to you in a way that really is beyond God's bounds. And so in the midst of my own wrestling with that and trying to find help, I came across a biblical counseling resource when people are big and God is small. Biblical Answers for Peer Pressure and Codependency by Ed Welch, who I studied under. So I found that book and I thought, this is the kind of teaching I've always longed for, but I didn't know it existed. So long story short, that led me to move out to Philadelphia, thinking I'd be here for nine months studying at CCF. And I was in the process of God doing a work of change in my own heart, of training me as a biblical counselor. I was also uh, exploring and seeking the Lord's direction for what's next. And among a few options, the Lord brought my path together with Harvest USA. Now, I'll be honest, when I heard what this ministry was about, sexuality and gender, I thought, whoa, <laughs> no, like uh, this is intimidating, this is scary to me. I, uh, like I'd been to seminary, I'd even been in biblical counseling training, but I had very little experience in these areas. But because Harvest is committed to a biblical view that Christ changes any of us from the inside out, that drew me into Harvest USA. That at the end of the day, it's not necessarily all about sexual sin. It's about how does Christ bring change in that. So, uh, so you know, just to sum it up, in, in short, the content of the heart of Harvest USA, biblical discipleship, teaching, equipping others to do this ministry was a great fit for me. And they extended the offer to become a full-time director of women's ministry. And I took it and I had 360 surround sound affirmation come from my kind of council of wisdom who said, yes, uh, we see this is a good fit for you. And I've been here for about 15 years. I, I love how God opens doors through, especially when there's like, you have a passion for something and then does it through a crazy backdoor, non, the way you didn't expect it to happen. Uh, so just kind of transitioning to your book, what is that, was you, were you commissioned by Harvest to write that or is that something that you were particularly burdened to write? Yeah. And like, can you just tell us a bit about your book? Yeah, well, Sexual Sinny for Women was a long, painful book pregnancy, or I should say a challenging book pregnancy, but a, a, a delightful one. It was challenging only because it went through a few different iterations. A former coworker of mine had basically laid the foundation for what became sexual sanity for women. And we went through some leadership change. We went through some publishing changes. And so that the resource, I was commissioned to finish it. So I took what this coworker um, had written, which was excellent, but it went through a, quite a reshaping in light of um, making it a more um, effective small group discipleship resource. Um, and for those of you, for those that will use it, the heart of sexual sanity for women is, or the main content is our biblical model for change, which is called the tree model, which is similar to a lot of other biblical counseling ministries that God changes us from the inside out. We're impacted by this fallen world. We have desires that get off track, our belief system, is in place, and all of that kind of works together to produce the fruit in our lives. And that's really what the heart of sexual sanity is, applied to women with 
pornography, promiscuity, lust, same-sex issues, and of course the relational brokenness that is always connected to sexual brokenness. So uh, yeah, so that came out in January 2013. So we're coming up on the 10-year uh, anniversary. Yeah. Very cool. I was gonna, I was going to ask you about the tree model uh, earlier, because the yeah, the, like you were saying, the book kind of seems to expound off that for the rest of it. Um, can you just like go into that a little bit more so people know what you're talking about mm -hmm. uh, with the book? Yeah, the, the tree model is, is based on those teachings that Jesus gives in places like Luke 6, where in so many words he says, hey, you know a tree by its fruit. You know, a, a good tree is going to produce good fruit. A bad, a bad tree or a tree that's polluted is going to produce bad fruit. And he, Jesus was applying that to the behaviors in our lives and the things that come out of our mouth, that all that is coming out of our heart. So what the tree model does, and I really appreciate this, is it, it, it takes into account the human heart as the main, as the place from which flow life, whether if that's for godliness or if it's for sin. But Sometimes, and even sometimes in our Christian circles, we only look at that and we say, so change your heart and stop sinning. Or uh, if you love God, then you should be able to just have your heart surrendered to Jesus and do what's right all the time. And I would actually say that not only is that simplistic, it's unhelpful, and it's actually is sub-biblical. Meaning that, yes, I live out of my heart, but I'm a, I'm a person living in this broken world. And there have been things in this world. So this tree model looks at the influences of the world or the soil in which the seed of a tree is planted. And that soil can be things that are good and healthy, depending on the nutrients, or it can be profoundly damaging. So there's influence that are, influences that are outside of my control that impact my heart. They can't cause me to sin. So sexual abuse trauma, dysfunctional family, uh, that, I'm a, that I was created a woman and not a man, I'm female, not male, or peer pressure, all these things, or the culture in which I live, the air in which I breathe, it's things outside of my control that exert a strong shaping influence on my heart, influences my desires, which is, in the tree model, we would look at that as the roots coming off of the seed or the heart, and then the trunk of the tree represents our belief system. So you imagine a tree, you know a tree by its fruit. The tree starts with a seed. The seed is in soil outside of its control. There's desires that are being impacted by all of this. The tree starts emerging out of, from up from the ground with belief system and true beliefs. Not just what we sing or the creeds we recite. You know what I believe by the way I live our true belief, our true worldview. And then all of that, think about that tree growing up, what eventually happens? Fruit bears out. And again, it's a metaphor. So it break, you know, it, it's not perfect, but so good, godly spirits of the fruit will come out of a heart increasingly shaped by Christ, controlled by Christ. But a heart, even a person that is in Christ, but is giving way to the sin nature, the that will manifest in the fruit. So the tree model unpacks that in much more detail than I can do now to help women and men see that, wow, there's a story to my sin. Like how come I st struggle in this way and you, and you don't struggle with this at all? There's mystery in this, but there's also wisdom as we look at how patterns develop in our lives. That is so helpful. I'm a visual learner, so I have like this, and I haven't even finished the book yet, but I'm like, I have the distinct image of that in my mind for mm -hmm. thinking about, um, I guess just like you're saying, how things are flowing out of it. Mm -hmm. And I just like it as a practical, uh, a practical visual like that. Um, just some other recommended resources, like what are some other good books, things that you would want to be plugging people into? And then maybe even specifically for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, you know, with, with boldness and, and humility, I hope combined, I do recommend our resources. We have a blog where we are addressing these issues 
from lots of different angles for a struggler, for a church leader, for family members, uh, and of course for women and for men. Um, so check out Harvest USA in our store. Uh, but there are other, you know, solid ministries, and thankfully that are are speaking about these things. And so, you know, just by way of um, a quick easy step on some blogs, I would point people to things like the Gospel Coalition blog, uh, the Biblical Counseling Coalition blog, and ccef.org, Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Those aren't ministries that are focused on sexuality, but they are addressing these issues from a, from a, biblical, a biblical and gracious framework. Uh, but then um, other, other resources that I would recommend would be those written by um, some women that I know, like uh, Jen Oshman has books that have come out on this. You know, many of your of listeners may um, have heard of Jackie Hill Perry. She's written a book about her own story called uh, Gay Girl, Good God. Um, another sister that I know, Rachel Gilson, wrote about her story, which is called Born Again This Way. And uh, she tells about her own story as well. Um, uh, another ministry that I think is is really solid on sexuality and is addressing um, really intense questions that need to be talked about is authentic intimacy. And uh, the founder of that is a woman named Julie Slattery, solid, uh, solidly biblical and very gracious and wise in her approach on these issues. Uh, but I mean, there's, there's so many authors. Um, Deepak Reju, um, the things he's written about, you know, Tim Challies, yeah. Yeah, so now just kind of jumping into some specific questions that I have and then we actually did a survey over like Instagram and Facebook and getting honest, real questions from real people. Uh, some of them which are just kind of reworded or combined here, but specifically wanted to talk about hope, guilt, shame, women, and marriage. Um, and just kind of starting off with, with hope. Hope is so key for fighting uh, patterns of lust and pornography. Uh, there's hope. In, in failure when we have the gospel and just the reality that Christ meets us in our brokenness uh, when we know him and love him. Uh, but this is only true for those who do uh, know him and love him. So just a, a common question we got was when we continually fail and have patterns of that in our lives for long periods of time, how do we know if we're saved? How does someone who's struggling like that have assurance that they are saved uh, when assurance comes in the gospel? Well, it's a, it's a great question and it's a, it's a sober question. And so I'll, I'll kind of answer that from two angles of the gracious, long-suffering mercy of God and the sober, sober uh, self-reflection that we need to have. So let me start with, lead out with the gracious mercy of our Lord is that we will battle against temptation and sin for the duration of life on this earth. So the goal is holiness, yet a faith-fueled, realistic expectation leads me to know that I'm not going to live, I'm not going to have sinless perfection while I'm, while I'm living in this current state. So temptation and sin in that sense is, is normal. But what I, what I would want to be, if I was talking with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, we were just sitting in my office or sitting in a coffee shop, I'd, I'd be talking about these things but I'd also be wanting to know about where is your heart in this? What are your, what are your desires? What are your motivations? Are you identifying with the sin? Are you just willing to give up? Are you plunging into it more and more? Well, if, if that's your situation, then I, I wouldn't love you if I wasn't willing to at least stop and say, this is a, a serious place to make friends with sin, to allow it to continue to remain in the living room of your heart, if you will. And a lot of us do that. We say, well, we might say, well, Lord, pornography isn't a sin struggle that's in my living room anymore, but I'm going to just keep it in the back den of my heart just to pull out when I need. No, I mean, Christ wants to fill every part of who we are. So if we're making friends with it, if we're minimizing it, if there's no change at all over a long period of time. I think that's a, at least enough for us to stop and say, where am I really at with this? Now, I actually said I wanted to lead out with the mercy of Christ. Here's, here, here's the mercy. 
if you're aware of that, if you're, if, is, is, as I'm saying this to you and you're thinking, that's me, like uh, I've been making friends with this. That is Jesus just coming after you, mercifully chasing you saying, wake up. And he's not doing that with waving a, a shaming finger. He's not sitting back saying, ugh. He's coming, wrapping his arms around you and saying, don't go any further. Turn to me. That's his mercy. But, but friend, I mean, I'll just speak to those of you that are listening to this, to somebody that is saying, yeah, with the love of Christ, I say, cry out to Jesus and ask him to reveal what's really going on in your heart because myself included, if I make friends with sin of whatever type, whether if it's sexual or not, I am in a pretty dangerous spot. That's the sober warning. And even that we see our father's love for us as his children to not just let us become hardened. And so the hope is that whether if you're failing in this or winning, or if the trajectory is so slow, if God's giving you an awareness that the, that the trajectory is slow or that you're maybe going backwards, that awareness is coming from a father who loves you so much. The hope is the God of hope. The God of hope pursues us and doesn't let us just go on and on and on in our sin. So I'll just say, you know, <clears throat> in my life, there have been a couple of areas in my battles with sin that I can say were microwaved out. You know, there's microwave sanctification that we all love. Call on Jesus, turn away, and it just seems to be gone. Like I've had a, about two of those in my life. The high majority of them were crock pot or slow cooker change. Stepping out of sin, jumping back into it. Loving my sin, hating my sin. Wanting to hide, coming out into the light. Most of our growth in Christ-likeness is going to be over the long haul. So you need endurance and you need people walking with you. So mercy and sweetness and comfort and pursuit of the Lord and sober warnings. If we are making friends with our sin, justifying it and turning away from the Lord. But the last thing I'll say on that is if you're aware that that's what's happening, God is loving you and pursuing you and waking you up. And my, my plea would be, don't turn away from the Father's heart and voice. Listen, listen. That is such a hopeful word and so encouraging. This is why I think chapter five, real blast here, but chapter five is probably my favorite of this whole project. Mm -hmm. Just as the very real word to the, where it feels like most of the living of the, of, um, the struggle is in chapter five, rather than so many of these other places. Follow-up question. After failing and repenting, I still don't feel forgiven. How can I be sure that I am? Mm. Well, here, here's the good news and the challenging news. The good news is your feelings are not an indicator of what is true, but they feel so real, don't they? But that's, that's good news for us is that, and this is why we absolutely don't run the race of endurance alone. Like I need running mates who are saying, Ellen, this is true. Ellen, you're believing a lie. Ellen, keep going. So your feelings aren't the determiner of what's true. That is very good news. But it's challenging news because our feelings are real. We are created in the image of God. So we do have feelings and emotions. So my, my encouragement about that is are, are really these basic, these basic but profound strategies. You've got to determine what's going to be your lens. Is it going to be your feelings, experiences, other people's opinions, or is it going to be the rock of God's word? And are you going to have people in your life planting the rock of God's word, reminding you of the rock of God's word in you? And you know, the challenge, the challenge of this, even though it's a good challenge, is that we want to just go with our feelings. It's easy to go with our feelings. So when I say 
Um, when I say feelings aren't our determiner, we can't be controlled by them, that is very challenging because coasting is going with your feelings. It's very easy. So think about it. You're desiring to just binge watch something on Netflix or go immerse yourself in the scriptures, which is just easier in your natural state. Of course, this is to go do what you want to do. And that's not to say that watching a show is, is sinful, but we're talking about supernatural spiritual realities that are enabled by the Holy Spirit within us. So feelings can be a sweet gift, but they're always meant to lead us towards Christ, not away from him in our own self-dependence and in our own self-interpretation and self-identification. That's what we all lean towards naturally. God's calling us to let our lives be governed by the truth and the rockness of his word. Mm. No, again, that's also very helpful. There are, there are so many I know that just struggle with um, just a sensitive conscience who are maybe mm. more of a sensitive <clears throat> yeah. uh, spirit and who have just the difficulties with self-hate or self-hatred that come alongside with that. How do you handle that with, with women or just in general with men as well? Um, for someone who has a very soft conscience yeah. to the spirit of God, which is great, yeah. uh, but have a difficulty kind of connecting with that, believing that they're forgiven after they fail again. Yeah, I love, I love that. Well, I want to speak first to those, uh, or I want to kind of address to helpers, like disciplers, you know, spiritual fathers, mothers, counselors, church leaders on that is uh, we need to have such an awareness of do we lean towards uh, giving more of the challenge of the gospel or the comfort of the gospel. I mean, I think a lot of us in our in our tendencies, we lean towards being the truth speakers, the challengers, giving that that word, a loving good word that is a maybe a confrontation. Or some of us lean towards we want to always be comforting, giving mercy. It's going to be okay. You know, Jesus did both of these, and so, but as helpers. We love somebody, and like you're, you're mentioning somebody that has a, uh, a sensitive conscience. We need to know in any given moment, what does this person need the most? So this, the person with a very sensitive conscience, they, they still need God's truth, but perhaps they're going to need that applied to them with extra gentleness, extra mercy in a way that woos them to the truth they need. And similarly, the person that maybe welcomes exhortation, welcomes the hard word, they still need gentleness and the mercy and the comfort of Christ. But with somebody that, as you're mentioning, that maybe has a really sensitive conscience and just leans towards really the unbelief that leads towards self-hate, self-loathing. I mean, those are just, I think, tricks of the kingdom of darkness to keep us focused on ourselves. And I've been there. But in that, how do we bring them or bring to them, again, that pursuing kindness of the Lord to really lift them up, help them lift up their gaze from their own sensitivities and their own feelings about self towards the Lord who is merciful to them and, and is still calling them to fight these battles, not in their own power, but with, with Christ enabling them through the Spirit. And we, you know, we need the Spirit to be able to do this, to discern. You know, and so there are situations when I'm meeting with a woman and women that are just, as you're mentioning, that are bowed down in shame or women that are just very hard-hearted. Like I'm asking the Spirit in my own heart, where do I go? You know, how, where do you want me to lead this conversation? So... Who is, who is sufficient for such a ministry, right? We need the Lord. We need the Spirit to, to guide us. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to kind of ask a follow-up on the other sides of the sensitive conscience. And then I think this is, this is largely why with chapter five, like a big focus uh, for this project was so many people get jaded um, after especially years of trying to fight consistently failing or off and on and things like that. Even with accountability groups, you go to an accountability group for a while, hoping it's going to fix you uh, and then it doesn't you don't get the healing you want or, or whatever it is and then that jadedness is towards the sin but also 
towards God. Mm-hmm. And we got several questions just like, how do I not get angry and uh, yeah, mad at God for not changing me in the way that I think he was going to? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that, those are, that's a big question and these are big topics. So, so I guess a, a couple of thoughts on that would, first of all, would be, um, you know, as the chapter talks about, you know, we do need to be mindful that our, as Ephesians 6 says, and throughout so many places in scripture, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that doesn't mean that we blame our, our sin on the devil because we've talked about, I, I make choices to either sin or to follow Christ, but the, the devil is real and he is tempting us. And I think what you're bringing up with this question is an area where in the mysterious ways that this happens in the unseen realm, um, and which I don't understand all the ins and outs of, but I do believe that the kingdom of darkness is real. There's going to be a consistent attempt to get our focus off of Christ and what is true of Christ and who I am in Christ and onto my journey, onto my sanctification, onto my sin struggles. And I've never known of anybody, myself included, that when you're focused on your yourself, including your journey, your behaviors, that that ever leads to life and peace and hope. It it just gets us all focused in and on ourselves. And I do believe that is one of the primary deceptions that comes against God's people. So what if you're in that place of, and and again, I'm not blaming this all on, on the devil at all, but to our great peril, we fall asleep that that is a real aspect in the unseen realm. But um, that somebody would be angry at God because change isn't coming the way that you've expected, the way that you've desired, it makes sense in a lot of ways, especially if you believe that God is all powerful, that he is sovereign. Yet, there is mystery in, in why God allows us to have the certain temptations that we do. I think especially of those that maybe they stumbled upon pornography as a child. They found it on a family computer. Or friends in the neighborhood said, look what I found. And that little boy or little girl is now 25, 45, 65 years old. And they're saying, I didn't choose this. Like, why did God allow me to even stumble upon this? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, that God is at work and he wants to use what the devil has intended for destruction, your discouragement, your despair. Somehow God is going to get the last word on this. So don't give up and and be, I want to say this with gentleness. There's no shaming in this. Don't let yourself stay very long in a place of, why God? No, God. I don't trust you anymore. We can say anything we need to say to God. I mean, the Psalms show that. But don't allow yourself to stay in an isolated place of anger or feeling jaded or hopeless. Don't stay in that place long. You might say, all right, but there's no way I can talk to God about this. Okay, your first step is go, go to a trustworthy Christian friend. Or if you don't have any Christian friends, go to a friend that you trust because you can trust that God's going to use whoever in your life if you're reaching out in sincerity. But don't stay in that place of isolated anger for long. Step out of it. There, there is hope for change. And, and let me just add a couple of more thoughts on this, and we can go in another direction if you want, is if you are in a pattern, or if there is a pattern of, and your sin is just growing and escalating, then, then I, I would want to ask you, stop and do some really gut-raw, honest self-reflection of, are you, are you doing everything you can to cut off the means of sin? And we've got to realize this is very inconvenient and very costly. You get rid of your smartphone. You get rid of your subscriptions. You get rid of whatever. 
that's not going to change your heart, but it will protect you from going towards the things that can destroy your heart. So ask, are, are you making, are there any little, are there any spaces through which temptations can still have easy access to you? You've got to cut it off. You've got to do the hard thing. And yeah, I'll just, I'll stop on that. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> no, that's all really helpful. Yeah. Those are, those are, you know, whether you keep this or not, I mean, that, that is a hard question. And I appreciate you bringing up about the sensitivity of someone's conscience. And yet, you know, there's the mercy we want to give. And yet I, I find that sometimes we're not willing to speak that hard, sobering, jar you awake word that I've needed at different times. And so, you know, again, like, like you're saying, the wisdom that we have to have in, yeah. in, in that is so hard because yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, in just different situations that it's hard to say when is it going to crush the spirit and when is yes. it going to awaken the yes. spirit to and God's I, conviction. Yeah. yeah. Just another question uh, related to this. At what point does guilt and shame become sinful? And mm. Mm. Um, there's a lot of confusion on is uh, where does guilt come from? What's the difference between guilt and shame? And then interconnected with temptation, uh, just... I know that's kind of a lot of things, but how do you help people understand that experience of guilt, shame in relationship to temptations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think a um, you know a quick definition, and I'm kind of relying on others for this, but guilt is that awareness of I've done something wrong. Like what I've just done or have been doing is not okay. Shame says I am wrong. I am unworthy. So those can be, though, we can experience those in ways that are rising up from our own hearts that lead to condemnation, lead to hopelessness. Um, that's never the way the Lord works. Uh, when the Lord comes to us convicting, disciplining, I love how I just heard uh, a counselor say this, when the Lord's doing that and making us awareness of I, I am guilty, like I have pursued sin. And even I feel ashamed because this isn't what, this isn't who God's made me to be. When that comes from our own sinful hearts or from, again, the enemy of our souls, there's going to be a condemnation. It's going to lean us into that inward spiral of hopelessness. But when the Lord's doing that, it's going to be like our face is being lifted up and it'll still feel bad. You know, like a, a child with a very loving parent, when that child recognizes that they have gone against their parent, even as that parent is merciful and gentle, a, a child with a normal conscience is going to feel bad about it. But the difference is when the Lord comes to us, it's going to be like a there's going to be a comfort and a sorrow mixed together as our eyes are opened and we are lifted back again towards Christ with, with pain, with sorrow, maybe even probably with regret. But it's where it takes us is how we know where it's coming from. Is it taking me towards, all right, I blew it again. Let's get back, let's get back in this and pursue what I need to pursue that's uh, shore up my shore up my accountability measures. That's you know, talk to my accountability people, reach out for help. But when there's shame and guilt that are coming not from the Lord, it's going to lead us inward. It's going to direct my focus onto myself and onto my inability or even hopelessness about this. So, if you're feeling feelings of guilt, shame, regret. Where is it taking you? Where is it leading your focus? And is it causing you or leaning you to collapse in despair or to collapse at the throne of grace for help? So, you know, this is a newer thought for me that I'm kind of learning fresh because there's been such a, there's been a lot of teaching about shame recently in some ways that actually we can start teaching that shame is always bad. And I've appreciated some, some things I've been learning myself of, no, there, there is a place of being sorrowful and in a sense being ashamed, not in the sense of condemnation, but of 
yeah, this isn't who I'm created to be. This isn't what God has for me. But let me be quick to add, we know if that shame is, is helpful or unhelpful by where it leads us, the direction it motivates us in. Mm. No, that's, that's so helpful. There's, again, so much confusion on all of those things. And is shame always bad? Is shame, is shame good? All these things. Yeah. Well, and we know Christ dealt with our shame at the cross. So that doesn't eliminate that I might feel shame on this side of heaven. But when I'm living in Christ and I'm reminded that he bore this shame, again, it takes me in the direction of Christ, not to myself. Like I said, it's an identity thing too. Yes. Where it's even just like the, like the saying, the direction it points you to, is it pointing us to a direction of an identity outside of Christ? Or is it pointing us to reorient to our identity in Christ again? Mm -hmm. I was doing a bit of digging, just kind of reading some articles and things you wrote. You wrote an article titled, Avoiding Open Mic Night, Christ-Centered Vulnerability Without Creating a Space Where Anything Goes. Mm. Love the title, and I just thought that was really interesting for just practical accountability. Mm -hmm. How to do that in a way that doesn't become problematic for each other. This is kind of going a slightly different direction, mm -hmm. but um, how does this work in the midst of friendships and inside of the church? And how do you toe that line between enough detail to welcome people into your struggles and into your uh, pain without that becoming a problem or I guess even inciting to lust? Mm -hmm. Well, first, let's, let's talk about what is helpful accountability. Uh, helpful accountability is not two people or a group commiserating about their sin, um, you know, to the tune of, how'd you do this week, man? Oh, I blew it. How'd you do? Oh, I blew it too. Yeah. Hope we do better next week. That, that's not accountability. And, and that could be women. Uh, accountability is also not merely having, for example, a list of 10 questions that asks you, say about pornography, you know, did you do this? Did you do this? And then the final question is what? Have you just lied to me? That's, that's not accountability either. It's maybe a taste of it. But true accountability are people, either two, you know, friends or a group, that are spurring each other on to love Jesus, to walk in faithfulness, uh, to walk openly in the light. And a fruit of that is doing everything you can to fight against sin. That's what I believe is true accountability, that it's really just a, an aspect of discipleship, helping each other grow in Christ and overcoming uh, sin patterns as well. So, uh, you know, it's going to be different, I think, from relationship to relationship about uh, how you confess. But what, what I think is really important is that you are being completely honest. And so with couples, and, and for, for example, uh, we don't encourage a husband or a wife to be the only or even the primary accountability person uh, because especially like in my ministry to wives, of course, she needs to know what's happening with her husband. But for him to confess the nitty gritty details of his ongoing battles with lust and temptation, and some wives demand this, that can actually be destructive to that wife because it's filling her mind with images and things that can be hard for her to bear. That's where having others that are bearing that is so important. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, I've already kind of laid out what I think is the heart of accountability. The, the mechanics or the nuts and bolts of it are you want to be, uh, you be um, completely open and honest with those people, not spinning it, not hiding. Uh, you want to have commitments of, here's what we're committing. Here's what you're committing to be honest with me about. Here's what I'm going to commit to you as a helper when it's maybe not mutual. And, and this is where the struggler, you know, woman or, woman or man, you've got to be really humble and honest because maybe you've done what I've done in the past with other sin struggles is I ask someone to hold me accountable and they fall off. And I think, well, you know, he's, she's not asking me. You know, she, she's not following up, so... No, for accountability to work, the weight in some ways is really on the person that needs it. So you've got to commit. I'm going to, I'm going to keep being open and honest. I'm going to keep myself in the light here. And when I'm struggling or when I'm making, me, making room for sin, I'm going to out myself on that. And, and you can see the beauty of that. 
when brothers in Christ, when sisters in Christ, and I do recommend gender-specific accountability, um, is you can see the beauty of that coming together of you're just helping each other cling to Jesus. You're helping each other go to the Lord in the midst of these, these struggles. So, yeah. So just going a different direction now, talking about women specifically, mm -hmm. we're committed on this project to be including women in that. And um, there's this common misconception that pornography, sexual, visual sexual sin is only something men struggle with. And kind of, there's been a, I guess, a track record of most resources being oriented that way. Mm -hmm. um, this is just sort of a open softball pitch. How do, how do you handle that when uh, you come across people talking in that way? And just how should we be thinking about that? Well, you, you're singing my song. I mean, one of the deepest blessings and privileges of these 15 years of a very surprising ministry has been able to be a voice for the daughters of God and to advocate for gospel-centered, Jesus-infused biblical discipleship for women that need the healing and the redemption of Christ in their sexuality. And you know, I, I was at a, a fundraising event for Harvest USA, so I was with kind of the hometown crowd. And there was a man there who was actually newer to our ministry, but he, he was shocked when he met me and found out that I was full-time. He's like, really? Is there a need? for that much ministry to wives. And I said, yeah, but, but actually, I'm not only ministering to wives of men who struggle, but women who are porn addicts or enslaved to different patterns of sexual sin. And he was shocked. He didn't have a category for that. And I don't, I don't say this to, to shame him, but it, it was another aha moment for me that many in the church, women and men, continue to need to have their eyes opened that, hey, if you believe, if you have a biblical anthropology and understand that sin really is that bad, that and sin isn't segregated to just one sex. So both women and men need redemption of Christ in this area. And, you know, sadly, the gap even between girls and boys and women and men regarding pornography is really decreasing. Like if you'd go to a lot of youth groups today, stats will show that maybe there's a bit more, maybe the percentage is a bit higher for the, the guys that are looking at porn, but the girls are, are right there alongside them. And it's not just romance novels, but this is a this is a part of the sobriety of our situation today with the internet and all of the devices is that girls are really catching up and are giving way to this just as much. And so um, youth leaders, women's ministry leaders, and male pastors and elders uh, need to be aware that uh, this, is, this is another area of discipleship that needs to be addressed to women and men, girls and boys, in your, in your congregation. And, and I'll say that the discipleship process is really very similar for both. Of course, there's gonna be nuances that might be different, but at the end of the day, even brain science shows that there's not a ton of difference between the female brain and the male brain when it comes to pornography addiction. So ministry is gonna be more the same than it's gonna be different. So I, I hope that encourages people, especially church leaders and would-be disciplers, is that um, it's the same ministry of Christ with biblical wisdom that needs to apply to women as well as men. Mm. So just kind of thinking, like, what are practical ways then, kind of diving into that, that a church leader could start changing that? Like, obviously, they could use uh, more than just male-specific examples, but yeah. kind of beyond that, what are some ways that church leaders could be practically bringing that into their church? Yeah. Well, you mentioned a big one is in the preaching and the teaching ministry. You don't need to be talking about sex every week, but if it's only coming up when you go through a book like, you know, Song of Songs, or you're doing a marriage passage or 1 Corinthians 7, that you're probably not addressing it enough. So so ask yourself, how are we applying biblical truth to the area of sexuality? Name that these are sin struggles that women give way to as, as, as men are. Um, I will tell you that 
that, that is also a blessing for me. And it's tender for me that when I've gone out team teaching with our male staff, and we like to have a woman and a man teach together for this very purpose, I've had so many women and men as well who've come up to me and have said, it's so hopeful to have a woman speaking God's word on these issues. And I've had, because I've had so many women that have said, I've never heard this addressed as a woman's problem. And so imagine being in a congregation or a women's Bible study, and you are looking at pornography, or maybe you're involved in other sexual sin, and you're only hearing the men addressed. How, how, does that, how is that going to impact you? Well, here's what women have told me. They, they feel so much shame because they think, if this is a man's problem and I'm a woman dealing with it, uh, I, know, I must be just extra perverted or abnormal. And they dive under the seat, if you will, in shame and secrecy. Like I've had, I've had women, I've had just sweet younger sisters who have come into my office and those words come out of their mouth for the first time in their life. I'm addicted to, and they just cry because they've never named it. You know, women ministry leaders, women seminarians, pastors' wives, single and married. And so church leaders, uh, I will will use a strong word, but I, I use it purposely. I plead with you. God has called you to minister to the daughters and the sons of God who need the pursuing, healing, gracious work of Jesus in this area. They're there. Because I I know some of you are are thinking this, right, as you're watching. They're thinking, oh, not in my church. Yes, I've literally had pastors say, and women's ministry leaders say, not in my church. Little did they know that their congregants were reaching out to Harvest USA for help. Again, there's no shame in this, but brothers and sisters, we must we must wake up and be willing to engage these issues. And take it from me, when I started this ministry, I was scared. I was intimidated. But, you know, with God's help and a lot of really wise coworkers, I, I jumped in and I've I've learned as I've gone and I've learned through my mistakes. But now my head is completely out of the sand and I want to keep speaking the light of Christ into these areas. What are the differences between men and women in the way that they struggle with pornography, if there are differences, and how should counseling and just pastoral care be different mm-hmm. uh, for men and women? Just kind of to, we've got the similarities, mm-hmm. but what are also the differences, if there are any? Yeah, um, well, on ministry to men, you know, I would point people to my very, uh, very smart and very um, experienced co-workers in our men's ministry and even our, our church equipping ministry. Um, but I will say this, that uh, the women and men that come to Harvest, generally the men coming to us are severely more isolated and friendless than the women are. And, why, and that's important because even men that maybe are very well known and respected in the church, when you really get to know them, they have no friends that really know them. Whereas generally, even women that are coming to us, maybe they've never confessed this struggle. They've got people in their life that are on the ground. And, and so for the helper, that's, that's a difference because uh, one of my coworkers used to say, um, a woman coming in the door for help at harvest, it, it's usually gonna take maybe six to eight months for a man coming in the door to get to the same place where they're at and being able to emotionally and um, in a self-aware address these issues. And I don't know all the reasons of that, but I think, I think this point of the reality of true relationships generally seems to be true. So ministry to men is gonna need to really take into account of this man may be, you may be the only person in his life that really knows anything deep about him. And that could be if he's married or single. Uh, whereas with women, yeah, that could be true for her too, but generally I've found she might have some on the ground people. And so as you get going, as I'm ministering to women, I might get more quickly to the place of who are your on the ground people that you can start to open up to. 
with a man, that may be a much longer process. So the helper is going to be perhaps bearing, bearing um, the burden of that in a way that's different in the ministry to women. That's one, one difference, I would, I would say. Uh, sadly, uh, the types of pornography that women and men are looking at, there, I think there are distinctions there, but um, you know, without going into any, any details of that, uh, there's a lot of cross-pollinization in that um, in light of the types of things that men and women are looking at. And that has bearing because uh, the type of the type of pornography that someone goes to is going to re reveal things of what's driving their heart, what's motivating their heart towards this certain, this certain type. And there, would, there will be distinctions between women and men on that. And I'll just kind of leave that, that um, kind of state that out now, you know, for those that are, are helpers. So being aware of that and the distinctions that might be there. Um, and this is where going back to some of the, what we talk about in the Harvest USA tree model, understanding the person and development of behaviors from a biblical worldview, uh, more alike than different, but what that pornography addiction serve is serving the person for, there might be distinctions in that. Again, gen these are generalizations, but for the man, it could be more for that sense of control, validation, um, feeling respected without being asked anything. And again, generally speaking, for a woman, there's a sense of uh, being loved and soothed and comforted and a for both like a pain-free fantasy life that relates to uh, a pain-free fantasy life that is serving the broken places within them. So actually, even as I answer this, it, it just kind of makes me realize again that I think there's more similarities than different. Mm -hmm. and, and actually, let me finish that question by this, is generalizations can be helpful generally, but each woman or, or man that comes to you confessing a porn addiction, they have a specific backstory, specific pain, and so get to know her or him specifically and guard against even making generalizations even and there's helpfulness in talking about it but we all have a specific backstory that leads to is resulting in who we are today and so woman or man younger or older single or married we love them by getting to know them specifically in their story one other thought before closing thing um we got two similar questions, just anonymous but specific questions. How do you help a hurting wife process and respond to a husband being caught in sexual sin? Mm. And what encouragement and advice would you give a partner who's walking alongside their spouse through their pornography addiction, uh, but hurts by being uh, repeatedly, uh, yeah, hurt by this sin? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful a beautiful set of questions. Um, I do wanna I do wanna just offer this out is. Uh, Lord willing, uh, Harvest USA will launch uh, in the summer of 2022 my newest book, which is called Jesus and Your Unwanted Journey, Wives Finding Comfort After Sexual Betrayal. It's a 10-session uh, discipleship resource for wives in this situation with a participant guide and a leader's guide that'll be a free digital resource at harvestusa.org. So that's that's one resource. Um, you know, there's so many things I could say about this, uh, but... I would, again, just uh, plead with church leaders, if you are being, um, if you are seeking to have sexual integrity or purity groups for men, uh, if there's any married men in that group, please think about how you can offer something for those wives. Uh, oftentimes I've found that churches will, in a, in a married couple situation where the husband's sexual sin comes into light, 90% of the energy and the resources starts rallying around that husband. And there might be some initial comfort for that wife, but so many wives just feel kind of left on their own, left, left in the dust, if you will. And uh, if you're going to provide care for that husband, the wife needs exact equal care. Mm 
equal wraparound care. And our resources can help train you to do that. I can help train you to do that. But for wives that might even be listening to this or friends of wives that are in this, I just want to say Jesus sees you. You are worthy of his care and love. He wants to give you care and healing. Our Lord knows what it's like to be a betrayed spouse. His people, we have been adulterous. We have betrayed him. He knows what this feels like. And he's not leaving you. So reach out for help. And don't believe the lie that you've got to deal with this on your own or that you're the only one. You are not the only wife dealing with this. And lastly, husband, wife, struggler, or the one that's kind of been sinned against, this isn't outside the reach of Jesus. This isn't beyond his hand. No, he, he can reach into this. He is reaching into it. Receive his help. Receive his healing. Thank you so much for that. Um... Yeah, the one just kind of final question I had was, how can we as men, even just uh, Jacob and I, in this discussion, represent the special, special needs and struggles of our sisters in Christ? Mm -hmm. How can we do that better? I think you're doing it. Having a woman participate in this, thank you. Um, I, can, I can promise you that there will be women listening to this who are gonna be so blessed by the brothers per, on this, who I esteem greatly. But just having a woman talk about ministry to women just will give hope. So thank you. And just keep talking about it. Keep bringing this up, normalizing it as this is a, an area of our humanity as, as women that need Christ's help. Yeah, and then just the final section, uh, can you just give a closing hopeful word to whoever's listening to this? And This has all been hopeful, but yeah. just a final thought. Yeah. I'm going to give you hope from Peter, who failed greatly. He betrayed Jesus, and God did a work in him. He became a leader for the church, and he's what, here's what he said in his first letter. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to come when Jesus is revealed. It's not always going to be this way. Porn is going to die. It will be destroyed. Temptation will be done. It will all be under the feet of Jesus but that time hasn't come yet. So we fight, we run, and we don't do it alone. We say, I need you to run with me. But it's not always gonna be this way. It will end. That's our hope. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast conversation. To learn more about the full-length teaching documentary, Into the Light, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and our website at Into the Light Documentary. These are all crowdfunded resources for churches and families like yours. So if you find this content valuable, please consider supporting us at givesendgo.com slash into the light. We love doing these podcasts because they are honest and meaningful conversations. If you enjoyed this discussion, you may also like my podcast, Chats Under the Sun. I have similar conversations with Christians from all walks of life. You can find Chats Under the Sun on Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.